this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same. Come on. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> your best shout ever. Oh, yeah. All right, I will be reading Mark 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all of the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, While this commotion and weeping, the child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And, when he told, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Praise God. Thank you, Lucy. You may be seated. Thank you for being here. I want to give you an update um, and then share with you uh, the conclusion of the messages of He Healed My Heart. Uh, this week, well, last year at this time, same time last year, Robin and I got the report that she had breast cancer. And it was not our bucket list, of course. It's not something we thought, let's go tackle this. And so last year in August, uh, our world was rather rocked with uh, information that neither one of us wanted to face, but you had to anyway. And I remember sitting down with the surgeon and Robin, and we were trying to process everything's happening so fast. It's just, just almost make your head swim, it was so fast. Not even time to really get your feet under you before you're having to make lifelong decisions uh, that could potentially impact the rest of your life. And I remember the doctor saying, honey, you just need to give a year of your life. This isn't going to be over tomorrow or next week. It's going to at least be a year before you're semi back to what you would call normal because that's what Robin said. How long before I get back to normal? How many of you just like normal sometime? Just, I want to get back to normal. 
I think we've been, what, a year and a half with COVID, and it's that get back to normal. If you'll take a shot, there's normal. If you do a mask, there's normal. And then suddenly you realize a year and a half in, I'd like to see normal again. And you, So it's kind of been that way with our life. Like, are we ever back to really what we call normal, or could it be a better life? And But I said all that to say this week Robin had her final surgery, and, uh, and it was a rather bittersweet, wonderful time to just put an exclamation point on a year-long journey of having to seek God. She came through with flying colors. They, uh, this last surgery, because some of you asked, this last surgery was cosmetic to correct the healthy breast to match the mastectomy breast. And uh, everything went off perfectly well. She's going to be here today. And uh, the beautiful thing is next week you get to hear her tell her side of He Healed My Heart. And she's going to be speaking next week to just tell you her journey and what God has done for her. So I felt today, uh, you know, the year that we've been in this thing, I just wanted to go back to all of it to, and kind of just share with you an ending point of where I'm at now at 56 years old. And that today includes a lot of life that you all may not know. Uh, upbringings and stories and good, bad, and ugly that, that create, when life is not normal, it creates, uh, how would I say, it molds you. And it, and it shapes what you feel about life, it shapes what you feel about people, it shapes what you feel about God. That when you hit things that are difficult, your, your faith, especially that inner core person of you, will be challenged to as we said before, will we redefine God to fit me or do I redefine me to fit God? And so I feel like what I share today hopefully will put that exclamation point of at least where I stand in my journey with God. And so let's jump into what I've been holding on to the first scripture. It's Jesus. And I want you to really look at the Aramaic words he used because they're going to come in handy at the end today because I think it's pretty important. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? And Jesus, it's strange because he speaks it in his native tongue of Aramaic. And also the story Victoria Kate read was, you, you hear him speaking it again uh, in a different way at a different time. But the translation was given to us of, the right side of the sentence is me, and the left side, the beginning of the sentence, is God. And I, I, as I researched and, and went back over my whole life with God, the family I was raised in, what I was told to believe, uh, the faith my parents deposited in me, I realized that if you're not careful, we'll tell you as a Christian everything begins with God, but it ends with me. In other words, the reason I serve God is because of me. There are things I need Him to do for me, fix me, help me, bless me. And so if we're not careful, me begins to define God. And, and I do my best to pull Him into my reasonings of what makes sense to me, of what I told He was versus what I experience He is, and the two just war with each other. And this is Jesus, that me versus God moment, that God that he's supposed to be is not meeting this me. And so there's this, there's this focus on Mark with the problem, and then there's this focus on, but God is the beginning of everything. And, and I don't want Mark to redefine him, and it's been, a, it's been a hard journey for me. I'm not acting like I did well with it. I tried. I don't know if I... I mean, if I could go back, right, 2020, you might live life differently. But when life's playing out, you don't have the ability to have 2020. You're just in the middle of the mess, and hopefully you got good people around you, and you have good, you know, good faith with God. But I go back to this me and God, and I was raised that way. I was raised that God is the fixer. God is he's the answer for everything. There was an old hymn, Jesus is the answer. For the world today, above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. And I, I knew that. I, I was raised, he, he answered everything. 
If you have a problem, you go to him. You're sick, you go to him. You're broke, you go to him. You're hurting, you go to him. And so as I work this out with my life, I'm like, I do go to him. I, I do chase after him. I, I do want to know him. I, in a strange way, I don't I hope this doesn't sound bad, but in a strange way, I have this, this yearning to, when I leave this planet, to stand in front of him and then hear him say, you did a good job. Right? I mean, I, that's kind of what I want to hear him say. I want him to just thumb up me and go, well done. And then he uses these words, good, and I, I, I feel like I've already flunked that one, so that would just be by grace only. Well done, good. And I'm like, oh, God, if you knew all my mess and crap, how could he call me good? Well done, good, and faithful servant. And I'm like, oh, gosh. But I look over my life, and I go, how many times have I could have been more faithful that I blew it? I got miffed at him. I got frustrated. I got tired. I, uh, you know, and then you have this, I just want to stand and go, man, Mark, you went through life, but you, you're here. Well done. Good and faithful sermon. Can you imagine what that's going to feel like when he just says, come on in? And the, the, the thing about it that feels weird is, you know, you don't deserve to be there. That's what I know. I'm like, how could you say good and faithful when there's been so much bad I've probably done in my life and so much unfaithful things where I've failed you? And I, I mean, I want to do right. I want to be faithful. I, I want to serve you. I want to trust you. And you get up there and you hear Jesus look you, and he, and he knows all your garbage. He knows everything. He looks at you and goes, man, well done. Come on in. I mean, you come in with scars. You come in with, you know, maybe some old scabs from some battles down here. But it does give me hope that everything we do down here pays off. Everything we do here will pay off when you trust Him. And so here's a man hanging on a cross. It probably doesn't feel like he's paying off. And so is praying about how to land the plane and what to say today and make it clear and meaningful to you as it's been to me. I um, texted Ryan. I said, hey, man, we're, we're reading Mark 5. And so I Friday, I just thought, okay, I don't know. I've, I've read Mark 5 a thousand times. So, you know, what, what do you want to say, God? Because I already know what the story's about. I already know the whole thing. So show me. So Saturday, I'm like, okay, God, man, you got to... Give me something. So I wanted to share with you what God gave to me out of Mark 5 on this battle between me and God. Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side and a large crowd gathered around on the shore. And a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter's dying. He said, Please come, lay your hands on her. So she can live. I, I kind of know when I read it, I thought I know exactly how he feels. I know that feeling, that pleading fervently. I know what that feels like now. I know what it feels like to be hurting for somebody else and you're almost in begging mode. Like, God, if you could do anything, I need you to do it for my wife. God, if you could do anything, I need you to heal her. I don't even care about me. I just need you to do it for them. That pleading fervently and what I, what I know is that there's a lot of people in the world, that large crowd, but in every crowd I guarantee you there's always somebody that's pleading to God for something. Now we may fake it really well, but I can almost say with certainty in every group of people, even in here today, there's probably somebody that's crying out to God for something in your life you really need Him to do. Pleading fervently. A little daughter's dying. In other words, it's not quite hopeless, but it feels hopeless. It's not quite over, but it feels like it's almost over. And here's what's weird. He was a synagogue leader, meaning he's a Jew. So he's a Jew that really, I don't know if he believed Jesus was Messiah, but there was something about Jesus that said, that guy might have my answer. And I went back over my whole life and I started seeing Prayers that I prayed, desperate prayers for God to heal things and fix things. And I could check boxes like he really did it. He, he answered this prayer when my daughter Sophia uh, got a report that she had a, a rare bone disease. And, and I saw God heal her supernaturally. And what they said she had, she didn't have when they checked again. 
I've seen God answer crazy prayers for me in those desperate moments of a man that runs to God and says, here's my request. I really need you to do it because i got faith in you. Because that's the way I was raised. I was raised that if there's ever a problem, you run to God. So you can imagine from a kid, I mean, I was going to church since I could remember. So from age three on of memories, my life revolved around falling apart, you need to go to God. And if you're falling apart, you probably aren't with God, so get with God and you probably won't fall apart. In other words, if you really chase him hard, you probably won't ever have a problem. He's a problem solver. He's a chain breaker. He's a, he's a healer. And all the words we give God go to him and, and he'll fix it and he'll heal you. And so you press in and you, you cry out and you, you, you sing fire fall down and you whatever it takes. And I was raised that way as a kid. And so I see myself there. I have story after story after story of God, please, God, please, God, please. I trust you. I trust you. And so here's the first thought that I've come to with my faith in God. I was raised that Jesus is the one you run to when you have a problem. And here's how we sell that to people. He'll fix it and you can chalk it up as a win. We call them testimonies. In my church we had testify night. So everybody came together and told what God had done for them. You kind of start out believing God's a winner, and then they would even preach God never loses a battle. How many of you know he never loses a battle, right? My God's never lost a battle yet. And so as a kid, it's like God never loses a battle. You can ask him anything, and he'll do it. And if you ask him, and he'll, he'll show up, and he'll give you power, and he'll fix it. And so you kind of grow up with, this is my opinion, this is probably the most superficial reason of why some humans should serve God. But it sure does feel good because it sells well. This Jesus sells really well. Your marriage is in a fix, God will fix it. Your health is bad, he'll solve it. Your money's bad, he'll give you more. He's kind of what I, and I'm not opposed to that. I know that Jesus does meet needs. I know that Jesus does heal. I know that Jesus is incredible at what he can do. Like, like I always say, like it's almost like he's a, he's a genie. And, and if I rub him just right, he gives me all my wishes on planet Earth. And that's kind of that Jesus. You always win. And then you grow up that way. And I'll tell you when it first started. I always had, I always win because Jesus always wins. And I've said this before, so please just kind of bear with it in case you haven't heard it. it was when my friend told me my wife is divorcing me. And Mark, I need you to pray. And with a boldness, because this is the way I was raised, I told him, don't you worry. God will fix it. She won't leave you because we're going to pray. And God's going to fix it. Matter of fact, I'm going to skip food for three days. So for three days, I just drank water. And, and I prayed, God, don't let her divorce him. God, change her to him. And I would tell him, don't you dare worry. Don't you dare worry. God's going to do this. And of course, she left him. And my world was rocked that my Jesus that I was told would fix things didn't fix it. My mind is like, why? Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe the devil's bigger than I thought. Maybe. And then you start, any time Jesus doesn't fix it, we're scrambling for reasons. I, ha- I told you that last week. I have to know the reason why it didn't get fixed. And then we got books full. The devil's big. She was in sin. Uh, we have free will. Uh, just whatever. I don't really care. I wanted a win. And I didn't get my win. And now I don't know, is it me? Is it them? Is it the devil? Or is it God? It didn't really matter. It was a, it was a wound in my side and my faith. I loved God and I wouldn't turn my back on Him, but my faith had a a scar that wasn't pretty because I had to admit, I now have in the lost column, I prayed my guts out and nothing changed. My wife died in May 19th, 1989. She was hit by a drunk driver and I had to go and look at her body and so I'm in the room by myself looking at her and I think, well... I mean, I was raised my whole life. God raises the dead. 
I've been told this my whole life. That God is a dead raiser. I've heard testimonies of God raising dead people in Africa and God raised dead people in India. And I guess we could do it in Africa. And India could do it here. And so the coroner pulls back the sheet and there's my wife's dead body. And I said, well, could I just have some time with her? And he goes, sure. And so I was like, oh, dead wife? I'm like, uh, okay, God, I know you can raise the dead. Like, I can't, but I, 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 they tell me you can. And so I believe it. And I ask you to bring my wife back. And I ask you to bring her body back. And I ask you to give her her life back. And, I, and so I'm going to give you time to do it. In Jesus' name, I know you can. And nothing. Another sad loss in the column of my faith must not be big enough because God didn't do it. And then, then the books again. Well, the reason God didn't heal him, you didn't have enough faith. And that's what was told me by a bunch of people because they were upset that I didn't raise my wife from the dead. They said, we need to go down to the funeral home and we need to raise her from the dead. We're going to have a revival service and we're not going to let it go until she comes back from the dead. And so now I feel really guilty like, well, I already thought I prayed that prayer. But maybe it takes more people to pray the dead to come up. And then I started thinking, well, what if she doesn't even want to come back? Who would want to come back to South Georgia? Like I'm up there going, bring her back. And she's looking at Jesus going, don't you send me back. I don't want to go live with him or them. But we're down here mad and, and, and people got mad at me. A group of people who felt like I didn't have enough faith to raise my wife from the dead. And when they said, can we go down to the funeral home and raise her from the dead? I answered as best I could in the heat of the moment. I said, no. You're not going to go sit in a funeral home and pray over my wife's dead body for her to come back. I've already prayed the prayer and nothing happened. I'm good, but another loss. I don't understand you, God. I, I was told you would fix things and you didn't. I was told you healed and you... I was told I could ask. I was told you were a dead-raising God, a chain-breaking God, a healing God. A... And along come my friend Matt, 33. Many of you know that story. Matt calls me and says, Hey, I've been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And it became very real to me because Matt was a dear friend. But it became more real because Matt would drive up here for chemo and he would stay in our home to save money. He said, can I stay in your house while I'm up here having chemo? And I'm like, bro, you can stay with me till Jesus comes. So we cleared a room out for him, and Matt and his sweet bride would come up, and they would do chemo, and Matt would sit on my couch with his chemo bags hooked up. And so there was a very much a more than just me praying for a friend. It was as if I was invited into this journey of him trying to be healed. And every time on my sofa, he would say, I know God's going to heal me. And I would repeat back, of course God's going to heal you. Why? Because I was raised. He's a God that'll heal. He's a God that'll fix it. He's a God you never have to worry. And Matt's like, I'm not worried. I'm coming out of here. I'm going to be a testimony to the world. I'm going to tell people Jesus is a healer. And I'm like, go, Matt, go, go, go. Man, I'm all... Uh, both of our faith was, this is the God we're selling here, Matt. We're going to do it, buddy. We're going to make it, buddy. God's going to fix it, buddy. I mean, I got a lot of wins, but I got two big losses that hurt and sting. But this is going to be another win, man. I'm going to pull this out. I know the doctors are telling you there's no hope and you're going to die within a year. I don't care what they say. I rebuke that report. I, I mean, I was doing everything I was told to do. If you know the story, Matt died. I didn't like that either because it's another loss in the column of God. How weird anyway that we humans keep a chart of his wins and losses. That's the arrogance I begin to see in me is that I was a little miffed at him because I was doing everything he told me and as a human I feel like I need to be keeping a scorecard on God. And so I have my little religious scorecard. I got a bunch of wins that keep me in the game preaching it, but I got several big losses that hurt here. And the one thing I'm going to do when I get there is I'm not going to ask, did Adam have a belly button? When I get up there, I'm not going to ask why Eve ate that fruit. When I get in front of you, I'm going to ask, why do I have losses in my column? Because I feel like you owe me an answer to this. And, and this, was, <laughs> this was the arrogant prayer. 
I feel like I'm selling my soul to you and you're not ponying up on your end. I feel like I'm giving you everything down here. I'm towing the line. I'm telling people you're trustworthy. I'm telling them you're a healer. I'm telling them you'll do it. And I, I had this moment with God where I'm like, oh, you, need, you need to back me up. You have me on this planet representing you. I'm trying to represent you. The day Matt died, I didn't know he was going to die. It was 11 o'clock at night, and I just had this overwhelming urge to call him. He was in the Mayo Clinic, I think in Jacksonville, Florida, and I called him. His wife picked up. I said, hey, Cindy, I just had Matt on my heart. Can I talk to him? She goes, oh, yeah, he's in the bathroom. Hang on a minute. He's not feeling good. He's, he's sick. And So she opened the door and gave it to Matt. He's like, hello. I said, hey, buddy. Had you on my heart. I know it's late. Wanted to call you. Wanted to tell you it's going to be all right. Wanted to tell you coming home. I know, Mark. I just want, I want to tell you. I'm coming out of this hospital, man. I'm going to be well. And I, I'm going to live. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And he's a healer. And I'm like, Matt, dude, you go for it, man. I got your back. I'm in Billerica right now praying for you. I want you to know I agree, man. You're going to overcome. Two hours later, Matt died. And when I got in the news the next morning... I got to chalk another loss up here. That's okay. I can sit at home by myself and chalk a loss. It's just another, I don't even know why loss. That was okay until I got a call from Cindy that said, uh, we want to know if you'll preach his funeral. I don't want to tell you what I thought in my head because it's not very spiritual. But I thought, I don't, I'll just tell you, I'll just be raw. I was, I was just like, hell no, I don't want to do this. I don't want, I mean, that's what I thought. I, this spiritual dude, I just had this moment of, I don't want to stand up. And here's, not talk about Matt. I'm okay, he was a great dude. I have great memories of Matt. I don't want to stand in front of people and talk about God. Because I don't know what I'm going to say. Because what am I going to say? God's a healer. My friend died. What am I going to say? God's a healer because my wife's still dead. What am I going to say? God's a fixer because my best friend got a divorce. You want me to stand up in front of a random group of people that I don't even know. And, and I'm going to back you up and say, well, Matt. So, of course, I said I'll do the funeral. I'll just make stuff up. I'll just talk a lot about Matt. I won't even mention the big guy in the sky. Just Matt. I can do that. And I'm sitting in Comfort Inn the night. Oh, Jesus, I remember it like it's yesterday. It's amazing when God comes out of the universe. You might not believe this. I do. He comes out of the universe and he sits beside you on a bed. I do not know how he can do it and not kill you. Like his holiness, his majesty, his, oh, his grace, his mercy. And, and in, that, in that room of me, this arrogant human with my scorecard of another loss. And I got to stand up tomorrow and tell these people that on Matt's dying bed, his last words to me is, God's going to heal me, I'm coming home. I don't know, and I, I even said, I don't know what you want me to tell these people. I got my Bible open, I'm having an anxiety moment, I'm having a pity party moment, I'm having a, I just get me over this funeral moment, it's not fun to bury people, especially people you fought with, and I got to see his wife on the front row, I know what she's been believing, I got to see his two kids, now they're without a daddy, I got to see a ton of other people that don't even know God, and this redneck's got to stand up and go, yay God, huh. And God just, I don't know, man, I don't know if he did. I felt like he did. Just sat on the bed by me. And in my pity party of scorecardness, if that's a word, the God of the universe does only what the God of the universe can do. Is he pulls up beside you and says, so you're hurting, huh? Yes, I am hurting. You didn't heal my friend. And this is what he told me. It's weird. But it shifted my entire life when I heard God say, Matt died believing in me. Are you going to live not believing me? And my whole moment of my entire life flipped upside down with, 
that guy died trusting Jesus. His final words were, Jesus will heal me. He died trusting Jesus. And here I am still breathing and I'm having anxiety about trusting him. Matt trusted me. He died trusting me. That flipped it up. You can't die trusting. It's impossible. If you trust, you live. Matt died trusting me. Are you going to live not trusting me? And man, it just, I had a moment with God like a kid. I don't know if you've ever raised a kid when they got in trouble and they knew they were in trouble and they snot cried and they couldn't talk. Anybody ever raised that kid? And you're like, do you hear me? You understand what I'm saying? And they try to talk to you. Again, you're like, take a deep breath. You know, you're like so, they're just, sounds like they're talking in tongues, right? That's how I was. Like I was hurt and, and, and I was, but it's like in that moment I knew what he was saying is true. Get rid of your freaking scorecard. What are you doing to me, Mark? Okay. Right? I don't want to get rid of my scorecard. It's how I tell people you're big. You did all these great things for me. I don't want to tell them of the things you didn't do for me because I can't sell that God. Hey, why don't you come and follow a God that won't do everything for you? Why don't you follow a God who might let you down a few times? I can't sell that God. I need to sell a God that will do everything all the time, 24-7, 100%, never let you down, and you'll never feel abandoned by Him. And I was wrestling with that God. I was wrestling that moment. So let's look at the next scripture. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, and don't you just love this, in the middle of following God, in the middle of running to Him, in the middle of pouring your guts out to Him, in the middle of saying, hey man, I'm here. He said, your daughter's dead. Don't even trouble him anymore. And in that moment, I realized reading this this week that that had been me. I had a scorecard of times that I went to God and he let me down. I saw myself there. I saw myself. I know how that feels. Please answer a prayer. Oh, uh, never mind, she's dead. I wouldn't even bother God anymore. I just let him go. So I got my scorecard of why. Why the no's? Why the losses? I love the wins. They preach, but the losses don't preach well. I got I to know. I got to know. Mark, just throw your scorecard away. Oh, okay. And then you read this this week. I've read it a thousand times, and all of a sudden I see myself with the phrase, your daughter is dead. That moment where you, you, you really are a dad with a lost column. You really are a, a human that checks off, man, what I asked him to do, he didn't do. What I thought he would do, what he told me to do, we're actually on my way to my house. And on the way to the house with Jesus, he lets me down. He doesn't do what I thought he would do. He told me he would. And so here's how we answer it, at least the way I've seen people answer it was this. Here's the thought behind it. Oh, I did go to Jesus with my problem. He didn't fix it. There's my loss, my wife, Matt, other people. And the selling point, and I hated it, ticks me off. <laughs> when in the middle of your loss, some well-meaning Christian says, Well, just have faith. God, shut up. God, it's not what I want to hear. Just have faith. You just didn't believe enough. If you believed more, if you believed harder, you, you did, you're right? I mean, it's just like... You have no idea what kind of faith I put to this. And now you want to tell me just have faith? I don't want to just have faith. That doesn't even feel good. And so anytime there's a loss, what do we have? Just have faith? I don't like God telling me Matt died in faith. Are you going to live unbelieving? I don't like that. I don't like that, that having to check my faith. I like judging God. I don't like judging me. I don't like judging my failures and where I went wrong. Now, here's, the, here's another thought, and I'll show you what I think is interesting. In the middle of my problem when nothing's working, how could any human be so bold to look me in the eye and say, just have faith? 
I'd soon kick you. I would rather you take me to Mexican food and go, dude, I ain't got, I don't know what to tell you, I'm sorry. I would feel better than for some religious person to tell me in the middle of my pain, just have faith. Because it stings. But here's my problem. It wasn't a human that told him that. It was God himself. Now when God himself rebukes you and says... Jairus, dude, don't be afraid. Just have faith. There must be something God knows about God that I don't know about God. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the logic what I get out of this. God knows something about God that I don't because I went to him with the fix-it Jesus, this Jewish guy that will fix your problems. Run to him. I did. Now I get the, your daughter's dead. Don't even bother him. And so maybe, I don't know, as any dad, he probably hung his head and thought, well, I'll just go home. i got to see my wife. She's going to be distraught. And i to bury my kid. I don't know. I'm just thinking. That's maybe why Jesus said, hey, 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 hey. Hey, come here. Don't be afraid. I don't know. I'd have felt like throat punching him. You're telling me not to be afraid when they just told me she's dead? What are you even talking about mentally? And then just have faith. Well, that made me think, well, then what is faith? Because faith would ask. Faith got him off the couch to even go find Jesus. Faith caused him to go, my daughter's dying. I need you to come fix it. That's faith to me. But what is faith after it's all said and done? How could there even be faith left? There's nothing left. She's dead. I don't need faith for you to heal her anymore. She's dead. And the weird thing about it, Jairus didn't even say, could you raise the dead? I don't even think he was anticipating the dead to be raised. He was anticipating a sickness to be healed, and so Jesus takes him on and just have faith. They go to the house. I'll just run through the scriptures real quickly. They go to the house, and there's commotion and crying. There's wailing, and I'll tell you why. Because every human has a scorecard. Every human checks the box. She's dead. Jesus checks the box. She's only asleep. She's dead. Okay, yeah, right. She's just asleep. I like the story because it ends happy for me. I like this story because it lets me take a loss and move it to a win column. Could you heal my daughter? Potential win. She's dead. Loss. Ah, she's back alive. Win. I like that. I could sell that, Jesus. I could sell a Jesus who I went to him with a problem. He didn't fix the problem. It got worse. Then he blew my mind and made it better. Win, win, Jesus. In my life, me personally, I can't think of a time where I got the opportunity to move from a loss category to a win. All my losses were losses. I never, maybe I didn't have enough faith, I don't know, but I never got to take the loss and move it over and go, oh, that was bad, my bad, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they told me she was dead, and I put her in the loss column, silly me, I was ahead of you. <laughs> I was just going with the flow, they, and I trusted them. I'm so sorry, raise her, raise her, raise, move daughter, raise daughter from the dead. That's the beauty of this story, because in the story, it tells me that this win-loss category doesn't work well from a human perspective. Because you'll always be erasing and adding and erasing and adding and not erasing. And, and so she comes in, let's finish it up. Here's the next few verses. Jesus walks in and says in Aramaic, Talitha kum. Little girl, ah, oh, Jesus. Little girl, get up. I don't know, but I wonder if the same Jesus on the cross that spoke Aramaic that said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that Aramaic cry. But Jesus didn't get up. 
He went to the ground. And it was three days later before the father said, get up. Kind of in a win-loss category. God, why have you abandoned me? I died. Oh no, I'm back. Three days later, I imagine I'm wondering at 12 years old if Jesus isn't having a moment of what real resurrection is going to be like. It's over. It's done. And he says, no, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. I wonder if Jesus is mine. He's got Eli, Eli Lama Sabachthani from a human standpoint. But from a God standpoint, there's little boy. I don't know what it would be in Aramaic. Little boy, son, get up. When the father spoke and out of the grave came the son. They were overwhelmed. Who wouldn't be? The girl's alive, overwhelmed. We just moved a category over. We just took a loss to a win category. Anybody remember years ago, I think it was Georgia or Alabama, I can't remember, so shocking. I think it was Alabama. When Auburn beat them on the last second of the last play on a blooming kickoff, I was already in the bag. I already won money. I was already texting friends, Ah, you owe me Mexican food. Ah, roll tide, roll tide, war eagle, boo. You owe me $20, man. Told you you ain't going to kick. I told you. All of a sudden, they run it back. I'm like, oh, God, delete, 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 delete. I'm deleting my text while he's running down. I'm like, my God, get him. I know what it feels like to have a loss and want to move it to a win to only go back to a loss. That was football and it was crushing. Much less life. Much less when it's your kid, it's your family, it's your wife, it's your husband, it's your whatever. I was good with the whole thing because it preaches, right? Another win for Jesus, let's sell that Jesus. But then when I thought about little girl get up, I thought about how many children in my 30 years of pastoring I've buried. And I'm sure the mother would have loved to have heard Talitha Kum. Little boy, get up. Little girl, get up. How many mothers I've seen sobbing on the front row. How many fathers sobbing at the hospital because they lost their child. I would love to sell Talitha Coombe to him. I would love to say, let's go out to the grave and go, little boy, get up off the hospital bed. Little girl, come out of the ICU room. I would love that. I would love to be able to pull this off every time, but it wasn't happening every time. Yes, I've seen God do miracles. Yes, He's a miracle-working God. Yes, He answers prayer. So I'm confused, like, okay, God, you got to just tell me what do you mean because I feel lost and this is what I came out with. Look at the final verse. Verse 43, Jesus, this is kind of what blew my mind. Hey, uh, I don't want you to tell anybody what happened. Nobody. Okay, let me get this straight. My daughter was dying. She died. You healed her. We're going nuts here at the house. And you don't want me to tell anybody? Okay, back up. This is a win. I could sell this to all my relatives. I could call all of them up on the camel phone and tell them that the Jewish dude who claims to be God must be God because he raised my baby from the dead. That is a huge win. That's SEC championship win. He's like, yeah, I know. But look, Mark, I got no ego here. I don't need you to go tout that I can do this. Keep your mouth shut. Enjoy your baby. Don't tell anybody. And when I read that, I'm just like, I don't get it. This, you know how many people would serve you if they knew you could heal babies and raise babies from the dead? If we could sell... You're a baby raising God, you would have thousands and thousands of followers. And Jesus says, Yeah, not, not today. I give you strict orders. Don't tell anybody what just happened. You just let them out there who are still waiting and crying think she was asleep. Don't you tell them she was really dead. You go out and tell them she was just in a deep sleep. She's okay. Don't tell them the miracle I just did. I can't even fathom that God. I don't know why. So I took a few days just so you got to help a brother. This is what I landed on. I hope it helps you. Why wouldn't Jesus want anyone to know he's a problem fixer and a prayer answerer? These are some of the two greatest selling points to his godness.
Here's the answer. The faith Jesus wants you to have is not in your win-loss column. Whether he fixes your problem or doesn't fix your problem. The faith Jesus wants you to have is to be in who he is to you. I need you to heal my baby. She could die. Let's go. Boom. Your baby's dead. You want to keep following me, Mark? Or do you want to stop here on the road? Because back there I'm the God that's going to heal and now I obviously didn't do what you wanted me to do because she's dead. You want to keep the journey going? Because in those moments when Jesus doesn't do what I want him to, it's hard for me to say, well, why would I keep going? Jay Iris didn't keep going thinking of a resurrection. He had never seen a resurrection before. I think Jay Iris kept going with Jesus because he knew what he believed about him. And what he believed about him was bigger than, would you just heal my kid or fix my problem? And I went back over my whole life with God and I realized in all my journeys with him, my win columns and my loss columns, I really landed on, he's just God. And he's worthy to be served. And he's worthy to be worshipped. And he's worthy to tell everybody I know about him. And so this was the conclusion. He's God when he fixes it. He's God when he doesn't fix it. He's God regardless of your win-loss column. And when Mark Evans landed on that, it makes me want to tell everybody he's God. He's just God. And the beauty of it all is the overwhelming essence of his Godness is that he died for our sins so we could have eternal life, not so we could just have win-losses. This isn't a game, it's eternal life. And when I start realizing that my faith is in who he is, I may have some losses over here, but dear God, I'm going to keep pointing everybody, preaching him, telling people about him, telling people he's a healer, telling people he's a prayer answerer, telling people he's a peace giver, telling people he'll give you joy. Why? Because I'm not telling you that because of my win losses. I'm telling you that because that's who I believe he is. And so when Matt dies and I didn't get it and I got a loss, okay, I'm still going to tell people he will heal you. I'm still going to tell people he will answer prayers. I'm still going to tell people he will raise the dead. Why? Because I'm not basing that on my losses and wins. I'm basing it on who he is. He is God and I'm going to go to him and run to him and trust him and believe in him and I'm going to keep preaching it to the day I leave the planet that he's a miracle working, prayer answering, big, awesome, incredible, only God of the universe and every other God has to bow down to him and he heals and he delivers and he sets free. Well, I got my wins and losses. So do I. But he's bigger than your scorecard. He's God. So it makes you want to talk about him. It makes you want to introduce people to him. Go back one, two verses to that last verse. Uh, verse 43, I think it was. Here's why it's important for you to believe he's God regardless of a win and a loss. Because there's people out there that need something to eat. And it's up to you to feed them. Or are you just going to be ticked off and not dare tell anybody that he's a miracle working God because you got your feelings hurt? Are you not going to feed a hungry world because it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen? Am I going to quit preaching because I had to bury a dead wife, I had to bury a dead friend, so I just quit telling you how good he is? So I just shut down because my win-loss column now uh, undeified the God of the heavens and now my win-loss column becomes my pouting of why I don't go to church and why I don't press into God anymore. 
I don't know if you feel like I've ever helped anybody in the room. My prayer is I hope I do. My prayer is I hope I do something to inspire you to fall in love with God more. But how tragic it would be if Mark was home today with a fifth of whiskey with my feet kicked up because my win-loss God didn't meet my needs and I'm just wasting and working my life away and I'm not feeding anybody because I'm too ticked off to talk about him. We talk about own your 50 feet. You'll never own your 50 feet if you're ticked at God. You'll never own your 50 feet with a win-loss column. You just got to throw it away and go, I may have been through a divorce. I may have buried a friend. It's okay. He's God. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of all honor. And I will go out swinging that he is a miracle-working, prayer-answering, healing, life-giving Jesus. And he's worthy to be served because of who he is. And I might have some strikeouts and I might have some loss, but when I stand in his presence, every loss suddenly is burned up with the beauty of who he is. And there's not one person up there. Matt's up there and he's like, bro, bro, Mark, oh, Jesus, Mark, dude, take me out of the loss column. No, Matt, you lost, buddy. Dude, Mark, I didn't lose. I'm with the God of the universe dancing on the streets of glory. Would you take my dad blame name out of your loss column and move me to the win column? My wife, Monica, up there, she's like, my God, Mark, stop talking about me losing. It was a loss to you, but I won. Would you please take me out of your loss column and move me to a win column? Because you're looking at life too shallow, Mark. There's not one human up there that trusted him that is comfortable with them still being in the lost column down here. That's our arrogance. I lost my husband, lost. No, if he's up there, he's not lost, honey. He's waiting on you. And he ain't coming home. If he does, he's riding on a horse, and you better hope you meet him in the sky. I don't mean that facetious, but that's what I mean. So here's the, here's the conclusion and then the communion. Will you run to him regardless? Will you trust him regardless? And will you stay in the game regardless? Because the selling point is he's God regardless. And the life of someone else is depending on that. Would you stand? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.